0: From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry.
1: One of our customers came to us and said, look, as long as you guys are going to be building new tooling you need to be looking at additive manufacturing because to remain a supplier for us, um, we're going to need you to have this ability, this capability. And so, you know, we looked in that direction and um, uh, it wasn't something that was brand new to me, but uh, it was something that I hadn't looked at in quite a while. Um, But uh, in September, I think of 2017 is when we went and, looked the first time at, at, uh, additive.
0: And when you had that conversation with the supplier, were they s- specific in any, in any way to say, you need this metal capability, you need to buy a Renishaw system. Cause that's what we, we use. Is it, or it just say like, Hey, this is on the radar. Yeah. Uh, no, they,
1: they just it? told us additive, you know, metal additive. You, you, you're going to need to be able to print uh, inserts and, and put, uh, create tooling with conformal cooling in it. So um, we started looking around and, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of different systems out there and all of them have their strengths and all of them have their weaknesses. Right. Um, So we just did our best to make what we thought was the best decision based upon what we knew at the time and what we could, what we could research.
0: That was Greg Nemichek. Greg is the additive manufacturing manager at Action Mold and Machining. He joins the show today with his colleague, Matt Duffy. Action Mold and Machining specializes in quick turn repair and engineering changes for molds. They're a veteran-owned business based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, since 1997 and have been on the forefront of adopting metal additive manufacturing in recent years. Greg and Matt discuss the evolution of AM technology within the company and how they're expanding its use to their customer base. Greg, Matt, Thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, it's our first episode with, with two guests. So I'm excited for the conversation. Um, why don't we just get started? Um, maybe Greg, start with you a little bit of background and we'll go, then go into Matt and kind of get into the story of action mold and what you guys are doing with additive manufacturing.
1: Okay. Well, my name is Greg Nemechek. I'm with action mold machine. i presently, I'm the additive manufacturing manager. And, um, uh, my, my history basically as, uh, I started out as a toolmaker and, uh, an apprentice to, uh, in the, in the tool and, and in the plastic injection mold industry and, um, worked my way up from, you know, doing everything from, you know, sweeping floors to working in, uh, the design department, running the CNC department. Uh, at one point, I was uh, um, I moved from the manufacturing side into the IT side, and uh, I worked as an IT manager for a number of years, and then kind of moved back into the design side, and then from there into additive. So that's kind of my uh, a brief synopsis of my history and in, in the trade.
0: Great. How about you, Matt?
2: Yeah, so my my degree from college is material science. Um, didn't use it a whole lot with a job straight out of college. that was doing product development for fuses. Um, then after that, I uh, met some guys at Ranishaw, got to know them, and that was where I got my introduction into AM. And from there, it really became a trial by fire for a while, um, just kind of figure it out, and break the machine, fix the machine, and see what you can do to push the limits of it. Uh, And kind of as time went on with that, the team kind of grew. I got more and more different responsibilities. So I got to do, I was a service engineer, uh, applications engineer, safety manager, service manager, production manager for the facility they're in now with a small team working with with the printing as well as the finishing side, needing to get exposure to the metrology side of the business and uh, did a lot of facility reviews and stuff like that. That was how Greg and I started to get to know each other really well was through the, the building design aspect of it um, beyond just, yeah, here's a printer, here's what you need to be able to do it, and here's how you would do it. Um, after about five and a half years there, I went to EWI, as an applications engineer and got to got exposure to really every other type of metal AM. And that was, that's what drew me there is getting to play with more toys. Um, Got to get hands on some very large scale machines, ones that I was standing inside the chamber with a couple other guys, which is very different for me. Um, I was used to really small parts and now I'm standing inside machines with other guys. And uh, from there, just kind of, I'd actually kept in touch with Greg, him and I got to become friends over time. And just kind of went on from there. Then last year, the way that everything kind of came together, I was no longer with EWI and worked with Greg kind of just socially asking, answering questions that I could. Uh, did a little bit of contract work for him last summer and then more formally joined them kind of September, October timeframe last year. And from then it's really just been trying to build the business, trying to help answer any questions that I could. From an application standpoint going through some of the little tips and tricks i've learned from needing to be behind the scenes working on the machines um, and really just trying to help get as much out of the machine as we could uh, which fits with i think kind of how a tool maker tends to do things with a cnc is really push what they can as best as they can um, and what drew me to action really was their capability to go from design all the way through Print machine polish CMM and even uh, running some of the molds. So I was really getting exposure to a lot more experience behind behind the scenes of what goes into making an end part. Um, so every day I learn a little something new that was beyond my AM background, but it was it's all part of the picture for AM.
0: So Greg, can you give us a little bit of background on? Action Mold and kind of historically, what are what has the company focused on, kind of typical customers? And then we can kind of get into the story of how Additive kind of evolved into that as well.
1: Sure. Sure. Um, so Action Mold started in, I think, 1996 is when they opened their doors for business. And uh, in, at that time, they called themselves the uh, Emergency Room for Molds. Um, their website had a picture of an ambulance on it. So, you know, their, their, their claim to fame has always been a quick, a quick turn on engineering changes and repairs. Um, they typically would have worked seven days a week, whenever, whenever it's required, you know, um, if somebody calls on a Friday and they, they have a tool that's running production and it's broken. You know, they'll they'll go out and they'll get uh, a handful of people to sign up to work the weekend and they'll they'll bring the tool in, break it down, make the repairs, put it back together, do a PM on it and, and uh, get it back on the truck and get it usually get it out the door by Sunday evening. Um, you know, that still that still means downtime for the customer because they're running around the clock a lot of times, but um, their shifts are usually a little bit thinner on the weekend. So uh they try to they try to have a bank of parts set aside so if something goes wrong, they can send the tool out right away. Um, but obviously when it breaks, it's it's you send it out. And um, so that's how Action Mold really built their business. It was around engineering changes and repairs. Um then uh
0: being in Michigan or Grand Rapids area was automotive a big focus of like typical industries that you'd be. Yes, serving? yes,
1: okay. automotive. Um, we also <laughs> do some stuff for uh, like uh,
0: a housewares,
1: um, a Tupperware, and uh, things like that. Um, we've done some work for Bissell um, uh, and and different companies like that, um, but automotive is primarily. Uh, the focus of what action mold does. Uh, their tools, the tools, most of the tools they work on are automotive. Um, uh, outside of that, uh, a f- number of years ago, probably shortly before I started there, um, which was uh, a little over 10 years ago now, they started building more new tooling. And uh, they got a couple, couple of good uh, customers larger uh, tier one suppliers. And um, they started using Action Mole to build some of their new tooling. And so we've kind of slowly moved into gearing the shop to do more and more new tooling. Um, and so with with that, um, uh, one of one of our customers came to us and said, you know, look, as long as you guys are gonna be building new tooling, you need to be looking at additive manufacturing because to remain a supplier for us, um, we're going to need you to have this ability, this capability. And so, you know, we looked in that direction and um, uh, it wasn't something that was brand new to me, but uh, it was something that I hadn't looked at in quite a while. Um, But uh, in September, I think of 2017 is when we went and, looked the first time at at the additive
0: and when you had that conversation with the supplier were they specific in in any way to say you need this metal capability you need to buy a renishaw system because that's what we we use is it or just say like hey this is on the radar yeah no they they just
1: told us additive you know metal additive you're going to need to be able to print uh, inserts and and put uh, create tooling with conformal cooling in it. So um, we started looking around and, and um, you know, there's a lot of different systems out there and all of them have their strengths and all of them have their weaknesses. Right. Um, So we just did our best to make what we thought was the best decision based upon what we knew at the time and what we could, what we could research. And uh, Renishaw seemed to be a good fit for us. Uh, their their build chamber was comparable to uh, most of the other ones out there that we were looking at at the time, and uh, they made us, uh, you know, they made us feel really good and really comfortable um, getting together with them to make this to make this thing work and to make it go. And uh, they they've always been. Uh, they've always been there to help us along and and get us over the the trouble spots. And Matt was always key to that when we were, especially when we were just getting things rolling, I probably, I probably called him once a day for the first month, you know, and um, it was, uh, it was uh, difficult at times, um, frustrating at times, but, you know, anytime you're going to birth anything new, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult, right? You're going to, you're going to go through some growing pains. You're going to go through some things that, that make you kind of sometimes wonder, geez, why did I get into this? But, you know, you know, it's, it's where you got to go. And, you know, when you sit back at the end of the day, you look at it and you go, yeah, I just got to accept that this is what it is. And this is what we got to do for now. And this is, these are the things we have to do to get through and, you you make the calls, you talk to people, you send emails, and and it all eventually comes together and and it will it begins to take wing, you know. So it's kind of where we're at right now. We've got things moving along well, things are off the ground. We're we're printing inserts, um, we're printing lifters, we're we're doing different things and uh just making it work.
0: So, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about kind of from going stepping back in history a little bit kind of when you're on the other side at Renishaw, working with new customers like like Greg or new potential customers what is that a common story kind of what Greg just articulated where okay hey we're kind of new to the technology we want to get in we see Renishaw or as having particular advantages and say customer service like what's what what's the kind of the typical story that that you saw stepping back on on the other side
2: yeah. So, I mean, when, back then, one of the one of the jobs I had was trying to help show some confidence in, in Rana Shah as a company, being able to talk through kind of end-to-end support from print, through machining, through everything else because of their portfolio. But really it was being asked, we need to help customers really get off the ground. Um, and for a lot of customers, it was, you know, they were just getting into it, um, the last year or so that I was with Ranisha, you had customers that were had already been in AM for a while. So working with them was very different than working with a company like Action, right? Or even companies that were new to it that were several thousand employee companies that were just getting into AM was very different than working with Action where they're under 50 people, right? So it was always a little bit, each case was a little bit different, but it came back to a lot of the same questions right? So it was also oh, what do I need to actually have for power or ventilation or what should my floor actually look like when stuff like that. Um, and that was true, whether it was a, you know, aerospace company or a, a mold shop. Um, that was, but so that was an interesting kind of similarity across everybody. But where I found the difference was, you know, some of the smaller, smaller businesses didn't have were almost easier to work with because they didn't have some of the bureaucracy that had to go along with it right so you have these companies that are massive aerospace or medical companies that have you know all these procedures already in place of how they bring in a new machine um, and a lot of those those companies didn't necessarily have people that were as versed in the technology to understand here's what I'm actually bringing in as opposed so they were just reading oh you know there was a, somebody had a fire with metal powder in Germany or in Canada or California or wherever it may be. And they go, they get all, they get really scared. They say, Oh, no, now we got to redo this. And it would blow up into, you know, several hundred thousand dollars more in facility needs on their end. Whereas working with Greg, it was, I drove out from Chicago to grand Rapids and we sat for a couple hours looking at building plans and said, yeah, we can consolidate these two offices take down this wall tear up the flooring and we can make an AM room right here. And it went fairly smooth. It was answering questions contractors had of what voltage was needed, what current, you know, what kind of oxygen sensors should they buy without building it into the whole facility, stuff like that. But it was, it was almost easier with a really small business to get it integrated than it was for some of the larger ones. Um, But that's also, that was where I, built a lot of relationships with a lot of the customers because I got to know them very closely in terms of how, what their thought process was before they even got the machine installed. So then when, when they'd come in for training or someone would go there for training, I had a little bit better idea of how they were, how to communicate with them, what kind of thing, what kind of correlations you could make. Um, And that was the other side that you didn't really know a new company. That's all, You know, newer, younger engineers that are haven't been in manufacturing for a long time have very much the AM specific lingo down. And then you go and talk to guys that have been machining parts for 20 years. They have machining lingo (laughs) really down and trying to draw the correlations between there um, can become a challenge. There's a lot of times that when you're at AMO, you'll have somebody walking around that's their background is machining and they're saying, so you're saying it'll build and it'll behave kind of like this setting on the CNC. And they're like, no, no, no it's totally different. And I hear that. And I go, no, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's, or it's very similar. You got to look at it a similar way. And that was, you know, my dad was a machinist for a couple of, for like 20 years, then worked for uh, some of the machine tool OEMs. So he I, I grew up around that kind of terminology and how it would all behave a bit. And I think that helped for a lot of, different conversations i think greg you and i have had conversations where when i explain what somebody else in the am world that whether it was uh, one of the guys that run a Shah or somebody at AMA, whatever it was is explaining something in am terms and he says this doesn't quite make sense and then him and i are talking and i say, no, no think of it like this and it's very then it makes some of the correlations a little bit easier um and that's where it I've enjoyed being able to find that correlation and helping create that communication between AM and additive and subtractive terminologies. There's always kind of a different experience based on who you're talking to, but it's always a fun one.
0: It's probably a question for, for either, both of you. I mean, I guess when, when you think of kind of the types of AM parts that, that you're looking at and Greg, you already mentioned kind of conformal cooling and mold, kind of design kind of what's the kind of true value of additive when it comes to those specific applications? What are the customers looking for? What are you guys looking for to kind of gain advantage over kind of the way you might think about your existing kind of customer products or work you're doing and kind of future work that might be possible with additive?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously um, the advantages and, and the things that, w- that drive it are different for um, different companies, right? So for us, um, additive is a way for us to stay on the cutting edge and to stay ahead of the curve. Um, uh, for our molding customers, obviously the, the, the attraction is the reduction of uh, cycle time through the use of conformal cooling. And um, we've done some case studies. In fact, we're, we're doing a, another one here. We're gonna be doing another case study here pretty soon. But we've done case studies that show clearly that uh, if you can conformally cool something and keep uh, your, your cooling agent, keep your water lines close to the cavity and, and consistent around, around the block, um it the the better the cooling the better the quality of the part and the faster the cycle time is so that's really been the 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 key factors the key factors that i see
0: and how does that kind of adjust your design thinking when you look at kind of existing molds or customer molds are coming in. Do you, did you have to think about design in a different way than you may have conventionally with? Somebody? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, um, it really frees things up for you quite, quite honestly, uh, where before you always had to be thinking about when you're putting in the water, you're thinking, well, it's a straight vector from point A to point B and I have to get water from this level to this level. And, uh, you're, you're, you are always thinking, well, where can I place an ejector pin or a core pin, or where can I, where do I have to put my uh, uh, springs that go in the back of the tool that are going to help hold the ejector plates back? Um, All of that stuff has to work around where you place your water. And um, with, with conformal cooling, it, it makes it much easier for you to position your ins and outs uh, in places where it just works. you know you don't have to try to um, you don't have to try to position so much uh, a component and then build your or position your water first and then build your component around it or add components around it. You can put the stuff in where you want it where you would like it and then kind of look at the field and say yeah, I can get water circuits in there. And then you can go in there and you can you can turn them around and make them go anywhere anywhere you want them to. So it really frees up the design side.
0: And when you're kind of just starting, for I mean, both Matt or or Greg on on this question, like when you kind of first sign the check over for the machine, um, were you probably? Were you like ninety percent sure that this technology was going to work for your customers, or like were you already like sold? This is like a hundred percent in. We're we're buying in. Like we think that we can do this conformal cooling. We got the right materials, the right testing validation. That as long as we can print the geometry we want, this is gonna gonna work.
1: Right, and that's the key right there. As long as you can print it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and and for me personally. Uh, just just looking at some of the designs that we had seen and how how uniform the cooling was going to be to me it w- it's a no-brainer. Um, and and the case studies are proving that um, but the caveat is making sure that as you design something it's not just a free-for-all you just can't do anything you want you have to think about how you have, um, water lines that might be moving around the block, and then they'll, they'll come to a junction where the line meets the in or the out. And, you know, you, you got to be somewhat thoughtful about how you allow those unions to be made, because if you create voids that are too large, and the, the system can't self-support the, the, um, water channel where it might meet another jacket, where it might come in and meet a larger diameter. You have to make sure that you put things in place that keep the areas that are thin from curling up and hitting the recorder and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's freed up the design side of it. And it was really much for the most part, it was a no brainer as far as if I thought it would work or not, but I'm, I've learned and I'm learning uh, what areas that you have to be careful of. Um, you know, we had one that we just did not too long ago. Um, we were, it was in the middle of the print stage and, um, we were, I was watching the build and something told me, yeah, you just better keep an eye on it as, as this, as there spidey was a, sense, AM yeah, spidey sense. <laughs> exactly. Yes. My spidey sense was kicked in and something said, you better keep an eye on this for a few minutes and it was it was where there was a channel that was coming around and there was a large diameter that came up that fed this whole circuit and i it, it just dawned on me as i was watching it that the 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 overhang that was being created and where it was positioned on the build next to this large diameter i was creating a very large covering up a very large opening and I thought this might not work and you know and it's always a sinking feeling you get when you're that far into the building you go oh no so then I stood there and I watched it and sure enough as it went to close that region over that area curled up and I thought, okay, well, I'll just watch it, and I, I, it, it might settle back down. And it just kept getting worse and kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And every time it would it would go to recoat, I'd say, one more pass, one more pass. I got my finger on the e stop, and uh, and then pretty soon I realized it's not going to get better, you know. So I had to I had to stop it, open the machine up, move the powder away, file down the bad area, and then recoat. Reinert and start to build up again and and it it flared up again for a little bit and then over the course of the next 20 minutes half hour it settled back down and the build finished just fine but but you know it's um it's those kinds of things that make you realize yes there's great flexibility with with additive and with being able to print your inserts but there are some limitations and uh And you don't always see them. You can follow all the rules, but if you put a couple features together, you may technically be following all the rules, but you're actually breaking them.
0: Yeah, Matt, did you want to add anything there?
2: Oh, yeah. I was just going to say with that one, it was one that kind of the the bog standard rules of okay what size overhang can you do what size diameter holes can you use and stuff like that were the questions that greg was hitting from from day one before the like the machine the guys were there to install the machine and he was going to be coming to run a the following week and he's asking all these design rules so that you can have something ready to go and we're like oh he learned from me the phrase it depends and he'd call me and he'd ask a question <laughs> and he's like, what? let me guess you're going to say it depends and i said yeah you know that part, so I'll just get into the reason, um, and kind of from there, it was a, a bit of a continual parameter development process, um, because being able to do some, you know, the larger the hole, the more water you can carry through. It, but you also have to follow some of the some similar uh, channel guides, just like you would with traditional tools of what how much water you can actually f- pass through. So you can't have, you know, a, a three eighths inch connection for your inlet and then have it, a, that whole widen out to two inch diameter hole. It doesn't matter if you can print it or not. You just don't have the water flow to, to make it of value. Um, and really trying to get it where they were looking at, okay, I can have a round hole here, but then have it tapered to change what the shape of the cooling channel is. Um, and Greg's back, Greg's experience with design, being able to look at that, he started to get some really different shaped cooling channel. He started out with round and then he said, ah, I don't need it to be round. I can do a flat over here where it's a flatter surface is going to follow really that surface and have a little bit more even. Um, so I was, I would always look at the part files that I'd get from him and say, okay, I'm trying to figure out what his thought process was, which areas were going to be the hotter areas just so I could try to learn for myself. Um, but when they were, when it was what last summer, Greg, when you guys were working on kind of some of the overhang parameters and had been getting success printing up to 20 millimeter diameter holes with no, with no significant deformation. There's always a little bit, but right. not, not anything that would stop us from being able to do it, um, which went basically well, I think fairly well beyond any of the standard size uh, water lines that you're going to have in a tool of that, that you're going to print inside The size chamber that we've got um so then it was okay now we know we can go this big now if we taper it back a little bit we can be a lot more confident and still get more volume by changing the shape um but it was it was always an interesting one to see that development cycle kind of start and then there was okay now we're not we haven't conquered this over here but we have a good idea on the size holes we can do for cooling channels. What else can we do? And kind of that always being hungry for what the next type of project, you know, challenge that we can take on while we're still, you know, we're 80, 80 to 90% of the way there on one project. we have a little bit more left to do over there, but we want to go to the next, we want to start thinking through the next one. And it was a fairly early on topic that had come up, but it was venting for tools. And that's the whole separate uh, challenge because it's, it's one that traditionally it would be a piece that would be inserted into the tool and finished with everything else. It was um, a porous material that would let gas flow out of the tool so you didn't have all the gas trapped in your plastic during molding. Um, and so what within the first couple of weeks that they had the machine, they said, well, can we look at doing this too? Right. <laughs> <I was> <laughs> yeah okay greg we'll run it you know we were doing stuff kind of in parallel um but i'd had projects similar to that in the past so it wasn't a huge reach because it was something that i'd kind of come up and organically came out of conversations greg and i were having but now we're doing more and more development of different parameters for different kind of applications something that's going to take a much higher pressure you need to have a more dense porous material which is Always tricky to try to get people to understand is that we can change that, but if it's something that's going to be hit with a lot more pressure, you want something that's a little stronger, a little more robust. So you need you're going to have to sacrifice some of the venting characteristics to have something stronger, but that is still going to let this air pass through. Um, and that's one that we've had it in you know a few different applications for customers where yeah okay where it's not just where are your hot spots that you can cool it then went from where are your hotspots? Oh, and where are your gas traps? Cause we can do both in one piece and people just kind of look at you and go, what you can, right. Cause it's not something that they're used to hearing. And that was always, so th- those were like the first two projects that were really kind of, all right, we haven't finished learning this piece, but now let's take on the next one. Right. And those, re- the whole team at Renishaw when Greg first came in were Always kind of pulling the reins back on him because he wanted to learn more and more and more we're like we've only got you for a week right now Greg <laughs> Let, let's get the baseline down Let, let's get through this and we're gonna keep talking and we'll keep building t- you know over time time and time again and it was it was one that everybody from the Renaissance team learned something because it was here's how they're looking at it. here's the approach that they're gonna really push as well but then also teaching here's how our practices are and seeing that they need to find other ways to say things. Um, But some of the stuff that we've been looking at more recently is, okay, people aren't necessarily investing in in an entire tool before they can see internally benefits, right? So it's, okay, give us a smaller piece that we can try to show you. There was one that we were uh, talking to a customer that we looked at the entire tool assembly. Um, Greg, this was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. You had there were the their question was on one long pin that they could that was that was the hot point and we're like oh okay it's it's too long to print but we could do other things and then we could we started to look at the whole tool and greg yeah i could hear the excitement in his voice of saying well i could cool here 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 every all these other pieces out of like they sent the assembly and it was probably you know 10 pieces all together and he said i could cool all of these, except for this one long piece. But if we change this material, we'll probably get, you know, still a significant improvement over it. And we could print little features here or there on it. But it was the, all they were interested in was in one little piece before they bit off a big, a bigger project. And that's been kind of the the I think the the challenge in the molding world is that there, there isn't some of the same legacy information that you see in aerospace or medical or something like that, where it's kind of been accepted and been proven, they're saying, they're still saying, well, prove it to us. And while we, well, we can prove it, but they're saying, well, but that, that's not enough. Like our part, right? <laughs> well, okay. So let us try to work or- with you to work on your part so we can take and do it incrementally and show incremental improvements. Um, but there's a lot of education that we have to do with, with our customers because they're not, Understanding that okay, it's a different alloy, but it's it's going to perform as well as what you've got, um, or you get some customer, some of our bigger customers that are more familiar with AM, but have guys that think they know how to design for the additive side. And Greg spent time fixing their cooling channel because of the way that they brought it together looked right on the screen, but then there was a this slight mismatch or a slight overlap or something like that that when it went to the slicing side would have errors in it. So then it's trying to come back and re-educate the customer and saying, no, here's how you want to try to set this up so that it's going to flow better down the road. So we spend a significant amount of time working with the customers and kind of helping educate them on the process and what why this technology makes sense for this kind of application. Or if they send a part in that's, well, we just have this tool that's broken. Just add material right here. Like, well, <laughs> it's not quite that simple. We can't just add it in this little area on a round part. Um, you got to look at a different technology for that. And that was where, you know, my background with, from the time I spent at EWI, I got to see which technology is going to make sense in other places um, and really trying to help a customer find the right solution, not make our solution fit every problem. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the ethos that Greg and I have followed across the board is we've had a few projects come in that they said, Hey, we just print the parts and they liked the pricing for the printed parts. But Greg looked at it and he said, I can make this even cheaper if I machine it (laughs) and I can make it for you faster if I machine it. And so we ended up doing that of really just trying to find the right solution for the right project. Um, But it was, it's always been every, every week is a new adventure for us, I think.
0: right. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that dynamic as a, I mean, you're, you're an established mold making you know, tooling company kind of bring in additive manufacturing. Was there any, I mean, it's not a cheap piece of equipment. You have to redo walls, you have to redo flooring and everything that like that. And then you're learning kind of from the ground up there's going to be mistakes like it's not as efficient from a kind of a culture standpoint kind of bringing in this new technology as kind of an established business small company kind of what what, what did you run into what was your experience on that front
1: well it's um you know it was uh definitely again a challenge because uh, you're asking someone to believe in something that that you're investing in when there's not a lot of evidence out there that says that you should believe in this. Um, uh, there are some companies, There, you know, there are quite a few companies that are doing this kind of work, but they're very quiet about it. So you don't hear about it very much. Um, but, you know, internally, it didn't take long for the guys on the floor to understand This is, this is just another way to build tooling, you know, and, and it's, it's not going to, it's not going to fix all of our problems. It's not going to be the silver bullet for every issue that comes up. It's just another way to produce something that makes effective uh, or efficient running tooling, you know, so um, it's, it's hard to, it's, the harder part really is to sell it outside of the company you know the 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 people internal once they once they looked at it and once they saw a few inserts printed it was like myself most of them just said yeah this is this is a no-brainer we just gotta get it perfected right and um you know we haven't we definitely have not slain the dragon yet but we know we know where the sharp teeth are and we try to stay away from that. You know what I mean? But um, you know, our, our, our crew internally, um, they're all pretty supportive of it. Um, and they like, like myself and and Zach and Matt are, are, they're learning right along with us, you know, where does it make sense and where does it not make sense? And things come up once in a while that uh, you know, you don't even expect like um, this the other day uh, we were, we were between builds and uh, one of the guys brought in an insert and he said, can you weld on top of this? And I, and I looked at it and I threw a pair of calibers on it and it was, it was flat. You know, it was a, it was a, the top and the bottom were parallel. So, and I said, well, what's wrong? And he said, where, when they cut it, they, they cut it and it's short. And they only needed like uh maybe 15 thousandths of an inch. That's that's how short it was, you know. And so I thought about it for a couple of minutes. I thought, yeah, we can we can print on this. So we we threw it on a build plate, and what we did was um we took the CAD model and we we grabbed just the top of the CAD model, which is what we wanted to print on, and we fired a single pass border. On the top of this insert, and then just kept adjusting the CAD until, until the laser etched right where it needed to weld, and then we set the wiper, and uh, within a couple hours, on within a couple hours we had it completely welded. And um, the guys that were going to fix it manually were going to because it was only fifteen thousandths. They were going to laser weld it. And they were looking at, eh? He said, I said "How long?" He said, eh, probably four to six hours for me to sit there and and laser weld that." And it took us an hour and a half to set it up, and about seven minutes to to actually weld it. And uh, you know, the guys the guys came in and they were standing there peeking in the window while it was welding. And when it was all done, it was just it was just an absolute perfect welding job you know and i'm like oh yeah you're not going to get much better than that it's cnc welding you know and it's it's those kinds of things that um that really make your day good you know what i mean when it comes in kind of out of left field and they can you do this and it's like yeah we can do that and not only can we do it we can do it quicker than you can do it manually so um those are the fun things you know
0: Sure. And um, I guess kind of, as we kind of close out the conversation today, kind of what's exciting, what's on the radar for 2021? What are you excited to continue to learn about and kind of build out in your kind of product portfolio and offerings to your customers?
1: Well, um, we can't give you too much information on some of the the, the brand sure. new things, but we, we have some very, very exciting uh, things developing right now um, uh, for, for, get, for venting tools. And, um, you know, we've seen what a lot of people are doing and uh, we kind of took it to the next level. And um, I think we're going to be able to produce some really cool products that are going to be very, very effective um, at venting tooling and very, very easy to install and very inexpensive. So, you know, when you can hit, when you can hit all those tick marks, that makes, that makes someone like me, who's buying products to put in a mold, turn around and look at it and go, oh, I mean, I can get that for a fraction of the cost of this over here. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things we're working on right now. We've got some other things that we're developing with, um, uh, for, um, actually for the, polymer side of of uh, additive manufacturing i'm i'm talking to a company here right around the corner from my house in fact he's got some he's got some needs for uh printing some uh some hard material he needs it hard and he needs it to be able to either vent vent a gas or allow a certain flow of hydraulic fluid through. So that's another thing that we're looking at. That's really quite exciting. So we're going to see how that develops, but as we get things developed and as we finish them, um, once we've got them finished and we've got them working and we're, we have, we're using them, then we're going to present them and we'll show people what we're doing. We're not, we really want to be as transparent as we can, uh, in an effort to, broaden the horizon for everybody um, because it it really is it's my opinion that if we can show what we're doing and allow people to feel free to approach us and ask us how it will start conversations that it's going to be helpful to everybody us included
0: absolutely i think that's completely right and for kind of what how would you articulate kind of the type of Customers, partners that you guys are looking to work with. Is there kind of a kind of good use case that that you guys are looking for for those listening that would be like, hey, we like we need to talk to these guys.
1: Yeah, um, you know, we're we're looking for companies and people to partner with that, you know, quite frankly, are not afraid to share some of their secrets and. It doesn't mean that you have to give everything away, but you have to be willing to sit down and have a conversation and be willing to show some of what you're doing uh, that will hopefully in turn spark an idea or a conversation that will further that idea. And, you know, so much of what I've seen so far is that Um, most, most people that are in this industry because it's so new, I don't know if it's because it's so new or not, but it just seems like they, they want to hold on to every little secret that they have, but I don't think that that's beneficial, um, not only to them, but to the industry altogether, you know, um, So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find people that are willing to talk and willing to share their ideas. Um, And we've met some, we've met some people that are willing to do that. So we're going to work with them until, you know, we've exhausted the things that we can do together. But I think that's going to take a long time because there's every time you turn around, there's something new coming out and additive, Um, whether it be from single laser to multi-laser to, um, you know, just a couple years ago when you said, well, is anybody printing anything in, in copper or a copper material? And the answer was not yet. Nobody's doing that yet. Well, now that's happening in laser powder bread. So, you know, it's, um, it's always something new. And so that's kind of we're looking to work with people that are willing to share what they're doing and, and advance the technology and, and push things forward.
2: Well, we've got got a couple other things that we're, you know, we're working with kind of, I don't want to say universities, right, but any training group that works with kind of showing what the next generation of manufacturing can look like and stuff like that, just to get some of that knowledge into their hands at an earlier stage where it's not, you're not having to go to a four-year university to get, you know, exposure to AM because that's where the money might be for the funding for the machine or the research or whatever it may be but it can be just a tech school or even just a workplace development type of program where it's, here, here they're coming in because they want to, advance. if you're talking mold making, they want to learn how to design the molds, how, how to approach maintaining the molds or new molds, repairs, whatever it may be. But they those groups aren't necessarily as up to speed on what AM can offer, how to do it. So we're talking with groups like that. We're trying to do what we can to get a more open dialogue going whether it's through you know mold making technology or any publication that we can talk to or actual groups that are um, doing the training themselves just to help everybody get up there and that was what you asked the question of you know what do you guys have up coming in the pipeline normally we say oh here's everything we're trying to do <laughs> and you caught us right as we had one project that we it was really the first time we said that we told everybody in our team don't say anything in detail about what we're trying to do. Um, But if you see it like on our LinkedIn and stuff like that, really every, every project we're showing, you know, design along the way, we're showing what it takes to design it, to print it, to machine it, and then run it Um, really without any, we don't want to hide anything. It's just hard to do, hard to show the whole process end to end in a 30 second clip. Right. But it's, we're trying to be as transparent as possible and hoping that, you know, people that say, well, you know, can you take us through more of how you're doing this and really try to the, you know, the old saying of give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish. We want to teach everybody how to, how to do what they want to do with AM um, in general, but specifically for mold making. And it's one, uh, sometimes people seem a little reluctant to ask the question because now they're saying, okay, it's out. It's been around for a decade. And now I feel like I'm behind or that it's a a question that the guys aren't going to take any time to answer, or they've asked other people in the past and kind of been not talked down to, but kind of, Oh, that's such a novice question. I'm not even going to spend my time answering it. It, Ask us anything and we're, we're open to the conversation.
1: Yeah. If we have the answer, And we can share it which most cases we can we will
2: and if we don't have the answer we're going to say that's a good question i don't know (laughs) we're not really afraid to say i don't know how it's going to go yeah Uh, but we're we're up for trying to find out
0: (laughs) awesome well matt greg Thank you guys so much for joining the show today. I really love what you guys are doing. Um, We'll put all your kind of contact info websites up and certainly LinkedIn kind of videos so people can check those out and and keep up with what you guys are doing. So thank you so much for joining tonight.
1: Thank you for having us.